What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, August 1st, 2021, and this week's episode, The Future Is Now. We'll be talking about AJ McKee's victory in the Featherweight Grand Prix at Bellator 263. We'll go over to Vegas and discuss the main event between Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. And we'll talk about the latest in MMA news. Amanda Nunes being out of the fight with Juliana Pena due to COVID. The fight between Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler finally being targeted with a date. Holly Holm going back up to 145. And we will cap it off talking about this coming Saturday's big pay-per-view, the interim heavyweight title between Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. You're fresh from the fabulous forum. Was it nice to see a crowd in the, in L.A. At the, old, uh, at the old stomping ground where we met? Oh, yeah, everything felt fantastic. You know, there was just a good vibe. And even the Bellator people, like, you know, respectfully, there's very rarely any media at in Connecticut um, where they do a lot of the shows. So even all the media people were like, it's just so nice to see everybody. And, you know, it just uh, there was a lot of mask and there's still a lot of guidelines and all the paperwork that goes into making sure everyone is safe but for the most part yes it was just a fantastic experience it was just a different vibe and I really enjoyed it uh what about you you got to kind of just enjoy the show the way a lot of people like to is at your convenience no line for the bathroom no line at the kitchen what was it like watching it from home it was it was fun but because you know I've I've experienced it from the bowels of the forum a little bit spoiled, so I had some FOMO, I'm not going to lie, but um, it, it was just like very pleasing to me to know that that was happening at the forum, and I kind of was like transporting myself to that feeling, the energy of being there, uh, you know, in the, in the seats, the feeling, the energy from the crowd, and like I just, I was kind of like tasting it, you know, from afar, so it was, uh, it was fun, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can make it out for the next one. I mean, we could talk about that because I have a feeling that they will come back soon. But let's get into it. So the main event obviously was, uh, let's be honest, it was head to head with UFC. I think, uh, and we'll talk about what happened at UFC, but I think going in, everyone knew this is a Bellator night. Respectfully, this just wasn't a UFC night. And, you know, this long awaited, you know, they've been calling each other out for years. It was the finals of the Grand Prix the tournament that was paused by the pandemic, and finally you had the dream final, Patricio Pitbull Freira against AJ McKee, and Pitbull goes in, two-division champion, he'd been knocking out, you know, Pedro Munoz, and he went the distance with uh, Juan Archuleta, and then you had undefeated AJ McKee. And you thought, like, this fight could just go the distance and it would be a long one, and instead, we just got about a minute and a half of a feeling out process. And then AJ McKee, he just, you know, he hid the kick with the punch, lands a, you know, kind of like a wraparound with a left high kick, rocks Pitbull, follows up, and in the flurry, I, they said it was an uppercut. I thought it was a right hook, but the fact is, he just lands a clean one right to the chin. Pitbull, you know, just kind of drops immediately and hit the button. 
Pitbull gets back up. AJ, I thought it was over. And so AJ just hops on a guillotine and, you know, standing guillotine finish. Um, Mike Beltran waves it off. Pitbull said after the fact, I wasn't out. We're going to talk about that in a second. But what were your thoughts on this performance and the way it all played out? You know, it was surprising to me, not to you. You picked AJ McKee, so good on you. Um, But he came out just ready to rock and roll. Going backwards a little bit. You were there for, for the for the media day, right, or the, the press conference. Yep. They had their heated exchange, right? AJ took his belt. Pitbull walked off. He was enraged, and I thought, oh, okay, this is definitely, you know, heating up. But when I saw Pitbull leave, I thought, oh, it kind of made me think of Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, right? Maybe Pitbull was going to be too emotional. I didn't see that in the cage, um, but he definitely was too patient. Um, so maybe in an attempt to stifle his strong emotions, he sort of you know held back a little bit, um, and he he got caught by a beautiful kick that you know shin to chin. Uh, I, I saw it as an uppercut that shot that did, did drop him. So um, it, it it definitely surprising surprised me that it, that wasn't the end of it because if you look at certain angles, you know his head just flops around and then he drops uh, Pitbull's head. Of course, McKee thought it was over, arms up in the air, has to get that guillotine to finish it off. So I was really surprised in a good way. I was happy for AJ McKee, happy for his dad because it's you know it was a team effort to get him there. And um, it's great to mix things up for Bellator. Like they they built AJ up from the ground up, you know, uh, undefeated record, and now he's the champion. Like this is very exciting. I think I would like. You could make a case, and we'll get into it right now as to why, but, you know, rematch City is 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 a possibility. But, you know, there's also some other stuff you can do. So I think it's a it's a really exciting thing for, for Bellator to have a fresh, exciting new champion at 145. Yeah, um, to go back to the finish, so Mike Beltran, the referee, had came by, and, um, you know, I, I did ask him, it's like, hey, just like, what did you see? And then he was like, he was out like, Beltran told me, I stopped it. And I was like, okay, because I will say that, do I think that Pitbull was going to, you know, pull victory from the jaws of defeat? No. Do I think he was all the way out yet? Mm, It felt like it was a bit of the Robbie Lawler situation, like the arm, but was he all, was he necessarily completely unconscious? I don't know. It was... It was certainly borderline. Um, For all of this to play out, I mean, I think to me the most impressive thing about it was that AJ was able to be, you know, spectacular once again. I think that when you talk about stylistically for Pitbull, just he had to deal with a lot of physical traits and a guy who is very unorthodox. It wasn't that just AJ is tall, it's that AJ is fearless in terms of being willing to spin and go for certain moves and... You know, let, let's be honest. Yes, you you maybe not going for high kicks. You know, when you haven't really thrown landed punches yet in the fight, and that was something we saw. So, all of that together, I was just very impressed with AJ's composure. And look, he was the star of the show, and he handled it as such. For Pitbull, I mean, I, I guess now I think the real thing is, you know, just how how much do what does he want to do? How much time does he want to take off? Because Yes, you feel like AJ calls all the shots now, but if Pitbull says, I've been busy, I just fought, 
I want a break. He could easily say, I'm done for 2021. And I'm just, you know, like, make something AJ versus Patricky for, you know, the twin brother for the, um, what's it called, for, the, for an interim lightweight title. There's a lot of avenues it could go. We could talk about AJ's star power in a second, but let me ask you, like, the future. What does that look like for AJ McKee and your crystal ball? It's pretty bright. I mean, I honestly feel like it, it not that it doesn't matter who he's paired up against. I'd like to see a, a rematch against Pitbull first. I really would. Um, but he's he's just so fresh, like, for, for to Bellator. Like, I know he's been... He's been climbing and climbing, but now he's in the premier spot, and it's really nice to have him there. And uh, with Bellator, though, I would say the tricky thing is that since they already had the Grand Prix, it's like, okay, well, who's the next most worthy opponent? I don't know. Moving up to lightweight, yes, that's an option. But for my money, I really would like to see the rematch with Pitbull. As far as the, the, the finish goes... You know, Pitbull himself, after the fact, says, well, I saw the video. My arms went down together, you know, for a second. So I can see how that looked like I was out. Yeah, he wasn't, like, you know, drooling. He wasn't completely knocked out seeing, you know, the Rainbow Bridge. But but I can see why, 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 why Mike Beltran stopped the fight. And it really, to me, felt like a matter of time. Like, you know, you squeeze the neck a little bit longer, two seconds, three seconds longer, he's going to go out. So, you know, you don't like to have a little bit of controversy, any controversy when a, when a spectacular finish like that, but okay, there it is. It's good that Pitbull is accepting it and, and not, you know, holding a grudge publicly. And uh, because, because he's been such a longstanding champion, I really do want to see this rematch. I think for myself, it just depends on um, the fire for Pitbull. I mean, I think that, uh, if he's saying like, you know what, I want this, I'm ready for it, let's do December, let's do, you know, January, back at the forum, that tends to be their target calendar date usually, uh, I'm down for it, I would love it, I think it would be amazing to see, and then in terms of AJ McKee, I mean, I know they'd have the Adam Borix, JJ Wilson fight, so it just, you got a triangle of top contenders at 145, I asked Pitbull, it's like, do you want to run it back at 145? Do you not even want to talk about 155? Um, there's a lot of different avenues. For my money, if Pitbull wants more time for any reason, they should do an interim with uh, AJ and his and Pitbull's brother, who's you know unanimously the number one contender, which makes which is why the lightweight division is so awkward right now in Bellator. It's like, well. Are the brothers going to fight or is one brother going to give give up the belt? Because yeah. there's literally no other avenue to go at 155 right now without screwing over the number one contender. Okay, that's a storyline for AJ. And yeah, you know, in, in terms of AJ McKee and going back to it, like you said, he's a breath of fresh air in really the whole mixed martial arts landscape. Um, similar to Kayla Harrison, you feel like you have a young star or young you know I know he is younger than Kayla by a bit but you have someone seemingly at the top of the game who's not in the UFC with longevity like hey like have we discovered the next big thing you know and I think that AJ has that he's 26 years old undefeated he just beat 
you know, you can make an argument. Pitbull, he's he could go as high as one B compared to Volkanovski's one A as a featherweight, or put him number two, number three. The fact is, you put Pitbull in there with a lot of UFC featherweights, he probably wins more than he loses in that top five, right? Mm-hmm. He was yeah. up against a, a big challenge, and he passed with flying colors. So I know, you know, like what happens next? Does he try to? I know Bellator is going to not just let this kid go as a potential double champ, but what does AJ want to do? What is his long-term goal? Because he already said it. At 145, I'm just taking on, you know, the next man up. 155, it's just Pitbull and, you know, it's never been a deep pool at 155 for whatever reason in Bellator. So, does he have options? Yes. Is he a breath of fresh air? Yes. Exactly what is left for him outside of Pitbull after reaching something like this, I'm not too sure. I'm very interested if, if it's just Bellator passes him the bag and that's just the end of that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting times over there at the uh, the Bellator machine. So um, you, you got to, well, I think you've already sort of hinted at it. You were there, you interviewed Pitbull and AJ after the fact. Did it seem like Pitbull was wanting to take a break? Did it seem like that was something that he was maybe pondering? I mean, when I say break, I'm not saying like we're not going to see him until this time next year. But yeah. do I think that he's not going to do something harder than run and maybe lift a little bit for about a month? That's the impression I got. And okay. I think Scott, Scott Coker hinted at it too that said like, look, we're going to give him a minute, but next week we are going to talk about a decision for the lightweight title and I do right. take that as a hint to say that it's like look Pitbull if you say you're in we'll do the rematch and we'll just schedule that but if you're not we need to give the other lightweights because he's had it for I believe we're approaching two and a half years COVID did put give him a lot of breaks I'll, I'll make an allowance but the fact is the lightweights have been ready and they want something to fight for too at Bellator so I get Scott Coker saying, look, the fact is we just need a decision. If you're in, all right. If you're not, let's just do our thing. And whenever, wherever you come back, we'll make that happen. So got it. I think that's just where we're at. But um, for my money, I do think that they will really push for AJ and Pitbull January. But anything could happen. Pitbull could easily say, you know what? I, I really am at peace. Let me heal my body up. Um, on the undercard, it really felt like Bellator Dagestan. Um, <laughs> just uh, by the way, it was wild to see a lot of the people. Like Habib was just right there in the media room, and uh, wow. I'll tell a nice backstage story. But Hassan Magomed Sherpov, younger brother of Zabit, you know, and Zabit's just walking around. That was something wow. because you know, like um, you could tell a bunch of people were trying to ask Zabit, like, hey, like. No, really, like, what is going on? We haven't seen you on camera address it. And I heard he had talked to some people, but I'm going to leave it at that. He didn't want to make anything public yet, you know, with his own voice. But um, stuff like that. Uh, Younger Habib, uh, the cousin, uh, Usman Nurmagomedov. Uh, Oh, my God, I believe it's... I messed up his name. Rabadanov, I believe. Gachi. But uh, Habib coached him, too. On the undercard, he got a win. 
uh, Islam Amadov, a teammate, of, you know, longtime teammate, and he beat the former champ Brent Primus. I thought that was a little controversial. I thought Brent, I thought Brent was doing enough off of his back, which wasn't easy. But I thought he did. I thought he did enough to earn the decision. But you know, the the judges saw it the other way. Um, so one of the funny things about it is that Usman, I think he is twenty or twenty-two, but he was the last of the Dagestan, you know, Dagestani fighters to talk to us. And so Habib is right there. So I know Habib is not about to address the media. Like, yeah. you know, he's not taking his the shine from the people. But I asked Usman, like, hey, like, can you tell us? And Habib is literally like six feet away from me. How does Habib feel about, you know, going 3-0 and tonight? And you could tell immediately, like, you know, younger cousin does not want to, like, say the wrong thing and put words in Habib's mouth. Yeah. And, um, and Habib, he's kind of doing that, like, low-key, like, crossing his arms, like, well, say something. <laughs> and But uh, I got to give you this shout-out, though, is because, um, and you watch it on the video, when you see Usman, Usman's eyes start looking to the side, it's because he's looking at Habib, and Habib is telling him, <laughs> But Habib, to his credit, um, some of the other reporters also asked about him. And when they asked, like, hey, what are your thoughts on Coach Habib? Habib, and Javier Mendez doesn't see this, but Habib is right behind Javier and immediately, like, lifts his hand up high. And by the way, he never breaks eye contact with Usman. It's kind of like, son, you better make sure you give him credit. But he immediately starts pointing down at Javier Mendez, like, you know, like... And he makes sure Usman sees it. Like, he keeps pointing until he makes sure that Usman has seen him and said, you give him the credit. You don't talk about me. So, Coach Habib, I gotta say, I know, like, we're kind of excited. You know, he's leading his people to victories in (laughs) MMA. But he gave all the credit to Javier Mendez, who reportedly, you know, he's the brains behind the operation. Habib kind of just, I think, is a bit of the language translation and maybe his own he has technical advice but i think there's also something to be said of just his presence as a teammate that the guys yeah, like moral support yeah. a little bit of that yeah maybe a little more than just like you know um <clears throat> latori gonzalez but you, you get what i'm saying moral support yeah. that you know he does more than latori that's my point so <laughs> i know i realize how low the bar was but i'm serious <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that was really cool backstage to see just the guys. Clearly, it was just a good night for everybody. That's great. That's awesome. It was wild. And the whole time, put it this way, I'm so busy. It wasn't until I'm checking my phone about a little bit before I left the forum. I see Sean Strickland in Vegas got the better of Uriah Hall by unanimous decision. Um, saw the fight just uh, I'm gonna toss it to you because I think you probably had an easier way to watch it and enjoy it than I did just what were your thoughts on it I was impressed with Sean Strickland he was kind of like it was almost as if he was sparring Uriah Hall like in the gym and and he was it was a little bit robotic not in a not in a bad way but it was you know he was using the same offense over and over and over again for five, essentially for five rounds and it just continued to be effective. And so the, that's the reason why I say sparring. It was almost as if 
Uriah Hall was brought in to help Sean Strickland work on his one-two, his two-three, you know, his his jab cross, his his hook cross, over and over and over again, pushing the pace, pushing the opponent backwards. Um, that's what I saw for most of the fight. Uriah Hall did have some moments there where he was not some moments. He was able to land punches, but Sean Strickland was like a metronome, just so consistent with with that offense. And his defense was was just as consistent. His head movement was strong. He had almost like a Philly a Philly shell, you know, that kind of shoulder roll that Mayweather used to do. Not that extreme, but a little slighter, a slight version of that. And he was able to avoid a lot of punches. He ate some jabs to the nose, but for the most part, he was in charge. And and um, and and you know, the scores reflected that. So I think coming off of Uriah Hall's fight against Weidman, where he didn't even get to throw a punch, and poor Weidman broke his leg. You know, you're hoping for Uriah Hall to be able to show something. And he wasn't, like, you know, Sean Strickland didn't smoke him. He didn't obliterate him. It went five rounds, so obviously he didn't. But again, Sean Strickland's consistency was, it was impressive. And I think that, that the division has someone to watch out for in uh, in Sean. Yeah, I think that um, when you look at Sean's resume, it really does fly under the radar. I mean, I know, so for one, he came back from the motorcycle accident about a, I think it's about a year and a half now. And, you know, that was a rough one. And he did admit, it's like, well, you know, there could, it could be a, hey, maybe he doesn't fight again. And he moves up to middleweight. And I think that that's just been, was so impressive. He's on a five fight win streak. And when you look at his record at welterweight, he's only got three losses in his career. And they're to guys like, Santiago Ponzinibbio before he got sick so that Santiago um Elijou Zaleski Dos Santos who for a long time had I think the second longest win streak in the division and this guy you might have heard of who's kind of good named Kamaru Usman I mean those are no slouches he was losing to guys who are legit who are legit title contenders and you know a future champion right mm-hmm. so I think the fact that he had the performance he did against a guy at the level of Uriah, um, in terms of his performance, I agree with you. Uh, his ability to just really walk him down, timing, it, it just seemed like his setups kept working. And we've seen this a bit, Uriah, sometimes he's just a little, uh, he's just slower on the trigger, and he is a guy that when you get going, I think guys really struggle because you're worried about his versatility and his speed. But when the other guy, you know, determines the pace, it becomes a long night. And I think that Sean, his chin, you know, held up well, his timing. He just seemed to have your eyes number all night. And it was a very one-sided fight, in my opinion. And I was just impressed. I did think that Uriah was going to pose more problems just because I did feel like the speed and versatility, if he got going... Yeah, that's probably a long night for Sean, who, if he isn't able to walk him down, if he's eating shots and your eyes getting out of the way, you know, he doesn't, he hasn't really shown me a style that says, oh yeah, he's going to get on the bike and have that, you know, very sharp footwork. Instead, really, it looks simple, but it was brilliant. And I think that he had just a solid performance against Uriah Hall for the win. Um, This wasn't a title eliminator. You're not going to see them, you know knock out another guy and then they're maybe right there but it does move him up the rankings um you know what i'm gonna throw this one out there sean strickland luke rockhold 
You know, huh. Luke, it looks like Luke just wants somebody who's game. Like, we keep talking about this, and it's like, at a certain point, man, it's like, someone just take the fight and just throw down with him, because at this point, I really can't think of anybody else. It seems like everybody else just, they're not interested in Luke, you know, which I know might be new for him, but it's true. Yeah, it is strange to, for him not to be able to get a fight, um, because, like, he's still a former champion, and it wasn't that long ago, and, he, you know, his chin is questionable but he's had plenty of time off you know whether he wanted it or not in some cases to to restore himself i like that fight i like that fight for uh, for mr sean strickland kelvin gastelum what's he doing lately remember uh, he's already booked with cannoneer oh okay like there yeah you go. in about two weeks three two oh. three weeks the 21st Someone's paying attention <laughs> it's all good jk um okay yeah uh, marvin vittori Marvin Coming Vittori, off the no. loss, uh, maybe that seems a little bit of a too much of a drop for for like too, the the pendulum too much upswing versus downswing. Yeah, okay. I think so. Um, I'm looking at the rankings. I know they haven't been updated. Edmund Shabazian, when did he last fight? I feel like he just he, fought. He just fought. I don't now him. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I'm not sure he's booked, but I also feel like respectfully that. Um, Sean probably leapfrogs Edmund already with the victory. I do think Marvin or Luke would change it up. Just because right now I feel like everybody else is booked. Um, Paolo Costa. Oh boy, that's a big jump. I know, but you know, once again, it's like we're coming up on, yeah, uh, eight, uh, about ten months since the fight with Adesanya for Costa. Um... It's kind of, it, I'll say it, it's a little bit like the Justin Gaethje situation. It, it, the layoff has now gotten the point that it's almost uncomfortable. So, <laughs> oh. Like at a certain point, it's like, no, really, what are you waiting for? Because yeah. it it, now it does start to feel like, you know, you're waiting for an opportunity that I don't think you're going to get. So why are you still doing it? Was Paul, okay, was Paulo Costa, wasn't he supposed to fight recently? Something happened? Did he get COVID? He like, said that he didn't actually accept the fight. I think they said he was going to fight um, Brunson. No, he was going to fight Cannoneer, I think. And instead, uh, Kelvin got it, and they announced that it was Costa Cannoneer, but then he came out and said, they had reached out to me, but I never accepted and said I was going to fight um Brunson, or sorry, fight Jared, so. Yeah. Uh, I, I just feel like, uh, and I know he wants to get paid and all that, and I certainly respect that, but I think part of it is, you know, you take the fight with the contract, and it, I feel like at a certain point it's like, well, you want us to tune in. I do feel like he's at that level right now that it's, it's at a certain point it's like, look, you're not going to get a rematch without Asanya, so exactly where are we putting you in the pecking order? Yeah, he's got to make a move. Can't so, sit there forever. So, you know, Sean Strickland, I mean, that's still good television. Or, um, so we're also looking at, I believe, it's Darren Till and uh, Derek Brunson coming up in September, which, uh, yeah. by the way, quick note, I, they really pushed hard, I guess, to get Darren in London. And per Ariel Hawani, it looks like that's moving back to Las Vegas at the apex, which is unfortunate because, um, you know, COVID 
you know it's just a yeah. sign that it, we're you know we're not there yet so that's it looks like that was essentially what it came down to and they just couldn't make it happen but i think that you got jared and kelvin you've got darren and derek whoever doesn't get the shot at arasanya out of all of those maybe they fight sean strickland because i can't think of anyone else who wouldn't just be a dramatic step back i think yeah that's true Okay. Paulo Costa, let's put it out in the air. Jack Hermanson, what's he doing? Uh, didn't J- Jack just beat Edmund, I thought. I don't think okay. Jack has yes. fought since he beat Edmund. Yeah, he, his last fight, yeah, in May against Edmund, he got the win. That's right. Okay. Yep. There we so, go. I like it. We've got like six different <laughs> options that if they book them, it won't be bad. Anyway, welcome. Hey, th- things are happening at middleweight. A lot of people are about to fight. It'll get sorted out sooner or later. But um, there we go. Uh, it just seemed like this card. I'm not gonna lie. I was worried because at a certain point, I was like, "It's gonna. They're gonna have to air like an hour of commercials just to make it up because they had lost so many fights." So it started with 15. Um, come Saturday, it looked like one fight might have. It was like canceled and then rebooked. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but the fact is it ends up being a nine fight card after originally having 15. And there was just a lot of stuff. Um, Messi Chesson um, injured, so we didn't get to see the return of Aspen Ladd, which is disappointing because that was big for the Bantamweight division. And uh, I think the one that really got a lot of attention, Nico Montano, supposed to come back. I think it was been over a year for her. And she misses weight by seven pounds. By the way, for Bantam weight, she yeah. won the title at flyweight. She's moved up since then, and she comes in at about one one pound allowance, like one forty two, one forty three for a Bantam weight fight. Um, uh, you know, I'm gonna toss it to you because I've been talking yeah. for a second, but I I do want your thoughts. That one was disappointing. You know, I was so excited watching her on um, Tough and seeing her win and. There was just a lot of, um, I was just very interested in, in watching her career in the UFC, and then it just just self-imploded, you know, it imploded. And she's never really got back in there. She has had one fight since she won the belt, is that right? Maybe two? Um, she's fought just once, Juliana yeah. Pena, and I think she won the title in 16 or 17. It's very strange. You know, I think when you move up to 135 and you and you still can't make weight okay but when you miss the mark by 7 plus pounds it's hard not to not to just assume you weren't trying you know seven and a half is a lot now i know she put out a message and you know trying to explain and and you know apologizing and thanking the folks that helped her at the pi and whatnot but that there's just really hard for me not to not to look at that scenario on paper and say I think you maybe need to to work a little. It, it seems like you know there wasn't enough preparation. Maybe maybe too little, too late. And you know the UFC still has her on the roster, and that's fine because I do want to see her flourish. I want to see her have success. And so I just I just wonder what is what is going on in the background that that this that this one this this rocket ship isn't able to take off just. You could never get enough fuel to really to really take advantage of the platform. 
And I don't know if you have any insight there, if I missed something on social media or, or stories that came out around it, but it's just a head scratcher and it's, it's a bummer. So I want to acknowledge two things. Um, the first one, outside the cage, I know she's has struggled not just injury, but illness and other things like that. Um, I think the thing that really always hurt Nico was that she was in a bit of that situation where they were already looking beyond her. Like, because remember, she won the belt and about two months later, Valentina Shevchenko arrives in the division. And yeah, even, okay, take away what Valentina has done since she became a flyweight. Look at her record. Look at Nico. Okay. You know, so the UFC <laughs> realized they had that situation. But then there was the, I believe it was the fact that Nico said she was down. But I think what it boiled down to was that Nico probably needed more time. For, I think she had an infection after she won the belt, yeah. but she kind of rushed it and still tried to fight Valentina because she felt like they were going to strip her anyway. And because they knew they had Valentina Shevchenko and, you know, at the time you have Kaylin Chukagian moving up and Jessica I and a lot of the girls who had not done tough. And so you had just a weird situation going on there. But now, you know, in the time since then, I know she's been very active using her platform to help her people, you know, like, you know, she's got, a, she's Native American, it's her heritage, and, you know, just raising awareness and helping, you know, causes to, you know, help, you know, her group and just her community. And I so I do acknowledge it's not just like, oh, well, she's just kind of, she's that girl who one time won the Ultimate Fighter and they gave her the belt. She's been very active in a lot of stuff that maybe we don't see week in, week out on MMA Junkie and on YouTube and all the other normal outlets. What I will say is that similar to I think it was Ian McCall who had these issues, at a certain point it just seemed like their passion for the game, their body did not match their passion for the game. And I don't say that in the discipline, it just seemed like health. And, you know, she acknowledged, you know, her metabolism and all that. I don't know if it's just, I would, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I think you know how much you've been through. I cannot imagine a scenario where you actually put yourself in a position to be the target of the kind of criticism you get when you miss seven pounds after everything that's already happened. Okay. So uh, I want to say it's got to be a health issue. Her body is just not agreeing with what it takes to cut that weight and everything going on. She's been out of the cage. I'm assuming that has hurt a lot of just the routine and rhythm to, you know, be a consistent fighter. And look, you know, I'm going to acknowledge she kind of goes in with not too many fights on her record, respectfully. So, you know, even adding the ultimate fighter fights, which people kind of, you know, they're weighted a little differently, respectfully. I just don't know where you really go from here with Nico. If she does get another shot, you know, I think it would actually really benefit her, really document it, really show people you're at the PI and all that, because it the optics just do not look good. And I acknowledge that at a, at a seven pound miss, it's almost like you knew at the beginning of the week how off you were. And I'll leave mm-hmm. it at this. I, I watched a video once with Chel Sonnen and he brought it up. He said, you know what? You, we do not force you to give us a reason. The athletic commission said, 
And so he said, you know, like, look, you know, you could say you got sick, you could say this, you could say that. But he said, at a certain point, if you are off by a type of margin that is just so large that it seems, you know, inexcusable, he said, you could just not show up to weigh-ins. And that's almost easier to explain than it seems like having the gall to step on the scale knowing you are that far off, you are nowhere near your limit. And part of me did feel like Nico at a certain, you know, when you went to bed Thursday night, like, what kind of made you make the call to say, I'm going to still try it? Because I do think at a certain point you had to know it's probably not going to happen. And that point was probably not on Friday morning. So that's how I feel. Yeah, I and think- I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'll, one quick thing to add to that, because that's a fine point, is that I think if I'm Nico, at the very least as a courtesy, I reach out to my opponent. I know other fighters have done this in the past and say, like, listen, I'm I'm not going to be able to make weight. You know, do you still want to fight me? Like, is there no way for them to go to the UFC and say, I'm not going to make weight. My opponent's still willing to fight me. Can we both stop trying to cut? Like, is that is that an option? Is that too, you know, too sneaky? Uh, trying to you know find a loophole but like I feel like there could have been some conversation something because her opponent I don't remember who her opponent is unfortunately I'm sorry had to cut make weight right and like why put that person through all of that when you know you're not even close yeah and I guess I will say this how far is the opponent in their cut by let's say Thursday night because if okay they're fighting 135 let's say Nico Thursday night was about, you know, she weighed in 142, 143. Let's say Nico Thursday night knew she was about 145, 146. If you're her opponent and you're already going to bed Thursday at 138, is that still fair? I think that would be my biggest thing. It's like, well, like where where was everybody at in their cut? That's the one trick to asking for a catch weight. It's like... And I get it, because at a certain point, you know, you kind of just... I know Thursday you're still trying to make the weight. Yeah. But once again, it just reaches a certain point where it's like, look, uh, you don't want to nip it in the bud too early. But then you now run the risk, which is what we saw, that she was too far off that they were never going to be able to salvage a fight. So. Oh, boy. Yeah, um, I'll say this. I don't know what's next for Nico. I'm sure they're gonna... uh, It has to come up. If she gets another shot, you know, I I do think that that would be quite something. But I I will say it's like, do I see her potentially on the chopping block? I can't say that I, I doubt that. I do think that she might be at risk of that, just considering the way it's gone for a while. Because I, I think, think Ray, so. Ray Borg had that issue a bit for a while, too, if I'm not mistaken. It just seemed like uh, he might have lost, but I also felt like he just was struggling with that for a while. But yeah, um, just a cursed fight. Uh, I think at the once again, at the end of the day, the weekend, the story was Bellator, but it was just quite a lot going on in the MMA landscape. Um, to jump to it, people got really pumped up. So we found out earlier this week, it looks like they finally have a date. They are really looking to load up the potential return to Madison Square Garden. November 6th, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler. Um, Look, when I think about it, you know what? I just think about the hands on Gaethje. I think about the hands on Chandler. 
everything to love about the level, the impact that the two can bring athletically. There's just the impact of the punches. The level of violence is a nice, healthy level. I love it. What were your thoughts when you heard that, hey, we're finally there? Oh, yeah. Super thrilled. I mean, these are two two super game 155ers, both proven showmen in the in the cage, in their respective cages. Uh, Gaethje, you know, World Series of Fighting to UFC, Chandler, Bellator to UFC. Like, these are not disappointing, <laughs> completely the opposite of disappointing performances that we get from these two guys. So this is, this is a a really exciting matchup. It's a bigger, not risk, but it's, you know, I think more on the line for Chandler. Gaethje has more than proven himself in the UFC. He's already had one title shot. Chandler's still, you know, one and one, right? And, and still fresh. Now he's made a strong first impression. Uh, but, but yeah, this is, this is kind of a, a mini make or break for, for Chandler, right? He wants to get the belt very soon. And if he doesn't beat Gaethje, I think it's going to knock him down uh, a few more, not a few, a few significant notches, um, and delay his effort by, you know, maybe a year or you know six to nine months. So this is a big one. But am I super pumped? Heck yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. I think Gaethje has a little more on the line on paper than might meet the eye because remember okay. he's been so criticized. Like, why have you sat out so long? Why, yeah. you know? At a certain point, you know, like I said with Costa, it's like the time is now like an immediate you're not about to fight Charles and Dustin unless several guys right now just seem to get hurt. So what are we waiting for? And so to me, um, I think that a win for Justin is like, hey, you are waiting for the right time. You got a title eliminator at a good point in the calendar that you can make it happen. All right. That's a good sign so far. If he if it does not go his way, what's going to happen? It's like, well, why'd you wait so long? You could have fought this guy or that guy at this time. And, you know, will it be fair? No. But will he get criticized? I do believe so. He took a big gamble, kind of like Masvidal did. And when you win, you look like it was brilliant. If you lose, you know, say no more. Right. And then, yeah, for Chandler... um, this is kind of like the great indicator, you know, he's not here for a long time, he's here for a good time. Um, are the good times still rolling if you lose back-to-back Charles and Justin? Because then we're talking about, you know, you're not fighting title eliminators. You're fighting the Islam Mahachevs, Rafael Dos Anjos's, you know, the Drew Dobers guys in the middle of the pack you you are fighting guys that may not get you a title shot so you're saying that if you lose you're going to regroup and fight someone else and keep going and quite bluntly i, I feel like he took the gamble on himself and i res- he, people should respect that that hey he went out there to try to make an immediate impact win that ufc title try to get some good fights in this now becomes a bit of a you know like how much does he want to keep doing this? And also respectfully, we, we talked about it. At what point does his level start to deteriorate? I don't think we are there yet. But I do feel like if he were to lose to Gaethje, that precious time he does have left, he will be at it the top level. Uh, or sorry, I mean his top level, you know, to be clear. Fighting against guys who are still in the middle of the pack. 
And I don't think that that's something he really wants to risk right now, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky situation uh, for for yeah. You laid out for for both sides, and uh, well, <laughs> that's what the light di- the lightweight division is right now. It's just like two really awesome, entertaining fighters pitted against each other, and like high stakes every time we see a, a matchup. So that's a good problem to have. It is, and I do think that right now at this point they have so many things to offer and fight against each other. I do think that Chandler's still got, um, you know, I think his chin is fine. I know he's got caught by Charles, but I don't think he's there where I'm worried about that yet. Same for Justin. And so I do think that stylistically they bring a very fun fight against each other. I think that they have a lot of weapons that when you match them up, it's going to play out really exciting. So... I am. Ex- I do think they are the rightful, you know, the third tier fight. And you know, I'll say it. I kind of hope they make it five rounds too. You know, give them the <laughs> Diaz brothers treatment. Yeah, I think that would be great. Not? You know, if you're That's gonna fair. you're gonna double up Usman with another champion, Gaethje Chandler five rounds. I'm happy with that pay per view. I really am. <laughs> I am too. That's getting your money's worth and then some. The lightweight division, real quick. So they're booked. That leaves Benil Dariush potentially in a pickle because what I'm hearing is that they're targeting maybe Dos Anjos against Islam Mahachev on the Abu Dhabi card the week before, which means that, okay, everyone's booked. So you got Benil, who's on this great win streak, just dominated Tony Ferguson. I really don't know. I almost think that they're all about to play the waiting game outside of Dustin and Charles going into that first quarter 2022 what are your thoughts yeah i'm surprised by by rda getting a nod over um benil darush who's been just making great strides is it just do you think the name i think they wanted him on uh, i think that because rda and islam that fight just seemed they kind of i think they just really want to fight each other like islam I, i will say islam i think could get a bigger fish but he's, you know, because, you know, you have such a loaded top four, he's just like, okay, I'll take RDA to, you know, finally end this. But I do feel like Islam waits long enough. A bigger fight could have happened for him. But I think also Benil is calendar. I think that he was, I want to say he was having a child or he was taking a break, but he didn't want to come until later in the year. And I do think they just really want Islam in Abu Dhabi. With that whole connection they have. Of course. So that's why RDA makes sense to them. All right. Well, I mean, you know, RDA still looks good at 155. I don't think he'd be able to compete successfully with the tippity top. Um, Well, I shouldn't say compete successfully. I don't think he can win, but I think he can hang in there. Um, But yeah, this is a good matchup. Sort of like gatekeeper status, right? Yep. No, I think that, um, and I always hate that they put him in that role, but you could just tell that it. they've done it several times. You'll always notice that at lightweight and welterweight, very often how many guys who break through, it seems like they get set up against Dos Anjos, and then, you know, oh, suddenly it's like, well, they're in a title eliminator next, and, you know, I think guys have even gone on to title fights after Dos Anjos' victories, so... I think, I mean, it's a compliment, you know, I think it keep, gives him job security in the eyes of Dana White, but it's like, he's a solid guy himself, no one wants that title on them, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, final bit of news before we break down UFC 265. Uh, Holly Holm going back up to 145 against Norma Dumont. So they're not going to be the headliner, at least not yet, I don't think, for October 16th. Remember, Holly has not fought since beating Irene Aldana. It's going to be a year plus one week since that fight by the time this one rolls around. Um, a Dumont recently fought, just beat the former title challenger at 145, uh, Felicia Spencer. Um, I think that the big thing about this is that Amanda said herself, Dana White said he's looking to end the division, but she's pushing him to keep it open. And Natalie, you have the number one Bantamweight contender taking on a woman who literally after she beat Felicia Spencer said she was looking to work with the PI because she wants to compete at Bantamweight. And so somehow the UFC found a way to kick the can a little further without spending more money on the featherweights. This is odd to me. I think if it really is essentially as a favor to Amanda Nunes, then it's, it's like a detriment to, you know, also a detriment to Holly Holm, like to just sort of have her circulating between the two, divisions whenever they need a big name to draw eyeballs back to one or the other. Holly Holm is still a really great contender. She's in great shape. Actually, I think she's better than she better than ever, frankly, um, the way she fought Irene Aldana. And so this is just so bizarre to me. They have to just make a decision, like just put the 45 class out of its misery because I just don't think it's fair to Holly Holm and as you say now Norma Dumont was clear about wanting to make her way down to 135 like Amanda Nunes is her legacy is intact it is it is rock solid like shuttering the 145 division doesn't hurt her in the least and it would free up all these other fighters to just focus on 135 like Holly Holm now has to you know condition her body to fight at 145 to stay at that at that weight it's a big deal, even though she's so professional and, you know, has done it multiple times. I don't like it, man. I really don't. If they're not going to bring in some fresh some fresh blood to 145, then, you know, stop doing this, like, purgatory dance for, for whoever's willing to move up for, you know, a, a main event spot or, you know, co-main or whatever. My thing at the end of the day is all these, you know... Uh, Dumont, Holly, Jermaine, they all fight their best at 135. So, and I guess like Amanda, you know, keeping the division open, I'd almost ask Amanda, it's like, Amanda, who did, are these the people you want to fight at 145? I kind of want an answer to that. Because I almost feel like, no, this is not what I meant when I said keep it open. I meant sign somebody, find somebody. You know, not oh, like two girl, one girl I've beat in a first round knockout, another girl who's keeps missing weight and had to bump up ten pounds. I just, <clears throat> I don't know. 
You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I just am a little frustrated with it. Uh, if you're Holly and you win, and by the way, Dumont, uh, I'd like to point out, she beat the top contender. Her record doesn't leap out on paper, and that should not be as big of a deal, especially we're about to talk about Cyril Gone, but it's just kind of a big deal. It's like UFC, are you about to push a Norma Dumont-Amanda Nunes final if Dumont were to beat Holly? I, I just, yeah. I don't know. You know, that, that's the thing to me. And the one thing, are you going to do this? Okay, Holly fights Norma. The winner of this one fights Kayla Harrison if she makes her debut next year? Is that <laughs> what we're saying? Is that what we're doing? Because I really want to know. I know you can't say it yet, but that's the only way. Because I guess if Holly, it's like, look, I want another title shot. I got it at 145. In which case, I'm like, all right, I guess that's just what we're doing. But I would think Holly wants to do it at 150, sorry, 135. I think that she feels faster and more, you know, just her speed and timing are a little bit better than carrying around the 10 pounds extra at 145. Yeah. So it does nothing for her really to, to come back around and fight Nunes at a, at a weight class that isn't her ideal weight class to perform. So, but yeah, I just found that like, uh, well, this is uh, perplexing. Yeah, I'd say that. Which kind of leads into it. Um, Julie, sorry, Amanda Nunes out of this Saturday's pay-per-view with uh, Juliana Pena. And the only thing I could say is that uh, when in hindsight now, it's a fantastic thing that Houston got Derek Lewis, right? Mm-hmm. What I will say is that um, uh, just these divisions, it feels rather... Because Aspen, you know, didn't get to fight, somehow everything has moved in a lateral direction. And that is so rare to happen. But for a division that's, you know, been on ice because Amanda did back-to-back 145 title fights, it's just really incredible to me that it's like, well, the people we're waiting on still haven't gone to fight and the champion still hasn't fought. So everyone could potentially come back at the right time and it'll still be fine and that to me is just like wow but in terms of saturday um i'm not i'm gonna say it like it is it did lose a lot of steam and i know it wasn't the most stacked card going into it but really it's built around derek the derek lewis show is what's he gonna say what's he gonna do because he's up against really a cookie cutter you know top prospect soft-spoken guy so it's really on Derek Lewis to carry it you know just um on the mic promotion wise and look the fact is he's also got the short end of the deal he's up against just a very dangerous fighter with not a lot of fights on his record but I will say I have full confidence in Cyril Gaon too this is not going to be a blowout fight in my early prediction what are your thoughts Oh, okay. Well, my thoughts are that Derek Lewis is going to go out there and try to finish this as fast as possible to give, um, so he can just go home as fast as possible, but really to give uh, Houston like something thrilling uh, to, to go home and talk about. So for, for all the danger that there is in fighting Cyril gone, from how I feel, I understand Derek Lewis to operate. I don't think he's, you know, he's not going to rush. He's not going to do anything foolish. But I think his intention, and I'm not 
you know, I'm not breaking ground here by saying that. I think his intention is to just go in there and and knock Cyril Gaon out. Like, let's just get this done. Give me that belt, and then you know, give me that, give me that money, right? Um, so, so for me, it's a quick, it's a quick one. Like, I really just think Cyril Gaon, for all the skill that he has, a stand-up skill. Is he going to make a challenge for Derek Lewis? Yeah, but I think Derek Lewis is just going to kind of charge forward and try and land that overhand right or whatever he needs to land to, to put gone out. It's not going to be easy, but we've, we've seen what Derek Lewis can do if he hits you in just the right spot. And I think that all the stars are going to align for him in Houston. I just feel it in my bones. And so can I make my prediction now? I think you know where I'm going. Go ahead, hit me with it. Hit you with it. Uh, Derek Lewis, uh, KO round two. Yeah, you know, uh, when I break it down, when I look at Cyril, I think about that fight with Volkov. I was very impressed with his ability to control the timing and the distance with his speed for a heavyweight against a very technically sound guy in Volkov. Derek Lewis brings a completely different set of problems, and I think that's what makes this fight very exciting, is that... Derek kind of is like the anti-technique guy. Like, yes, he knows hands up, chin down, a lot of those that stuff that's important. But you feel like you try to be technical with him, and at the end of the day, he's just going to bulldoze you. And he just gets that physicality working for him, and then next thing you know, you're looking up at the lights, and he's pounding his chest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about Cyril Gaon, multifaceted. Um, doesn't show his ground game a lot, but he has one. Uses punches, uses kicks. Um, isn't one to really fight patiently. Like, he'll put it all together and get after it a little bit, which I really like. And I think that that's everything you need to pose Derek Lewis' problems. Derek, on the other hand, I know, look, I get it. You know, you feel like he kind of just rolls out of bed, doesn't eat too much junk food, and then gets into a fist fight, right? Mm-hmm. I know he is motivated. He is not. It, look, th- th- he is not taking this lightly. He knows pay-per-view, interim title, more money for him, more money for his family in front of his town. I do believe he's taking this seriously. Now, do they bring in guys with the game of Gone? you know, every day? I don't know. Gone's a hard guy to prepare for because he's so multifaceted and it almost feels like there's not a ton of tape. But I do believe that Derek, once again, has the... He's not taking this lightly, and I think that's the biggest thing to say, that he, whatever he can do against Cyril, he's prepared to do it. I will give my prediction as well. I do believe that it is going to be... Uh, I, I just don't think the Black Beast is going to be denied at home. And I, I know Cyril could really just zig instead of zag and get out of the way a lot of that danger, but I just really also feel like Derek... He just has to get to him. And I do think that he's going to have it in him to get to him. He's going to feel that crowd, and I think it's going to propel him. And I do think just the physicality, it's going to kind of unravel a bit of that brilliance that we've seen out of Cyril. And Derek's going to land the shot and get the job done. I'm going to roll with you for a second round. I want a KO. That's what I, I think said. It's, I, said I thought KO. you said TKO. No, sir. <laughs> All right, sorry. Knockout. This time, second round knockout. We're lined up. You know what? Hey, I'm going to raise you one around okay. the two-minute, 15-second mark. Okay, okay. <laughs> Just because I want more bragging rights. Yes, sir. 
Yeah. Um, with that, Jose Aldo on the card also. You got a great welterweight fight, I believe, with... Uh, I'm going to feel stupid if it's not on this card. I believe Michael Chiesa and Vicente Luque, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's um, that's no joke in the welterweight division. That's kind of like the sleeper. I feel like the winner of that one could fight Ed- Leon Edwards, Jorge, Gilbert Burns, and they're talking about a title fight. So high stakes in the welterweight division. Um, once again, like I know that card lost a bit of steam, but as a TV broadcast of fights, they don't have a bad one. They have some guys ranked that are in a good spot. So, you know, does it get you excited after a Conor McGregor and all these triple headers? Probably not. But I think if you're just watching MMA, you're getting a good night of it. So if you tune in, I think that's what you're getting. And that's the end of that. Okay, uh, I like it. Natalie, next week, UFC is taking a break, but uh, several other promotions have a big night. Bellator, the return of Gegard Musasi, he's going to be taking on top contender John Salter. And in PFL, the playoffs kick off. I believe it's on the same night. You're going to have you know, defending champion Ray Cooper take on one of the big signees, former Bellator champion and UFC standout Rory McDonald. What are your thoughts on that? entire set as we go into next week uh yeah ray cooper rory mcdonald that's that's exciting i'm i'm pretty fired up about that one and uh you know the pay-per-view is still the most exciting for me because Derek lewis is you know i'm putting a lot of weight i'm putting a lot of pressure on him to make my saturday night but i think he will deliver and so that that's my most uh what i'm most looking forward to but yeah, Rory McDonald versus Ray Cooper, man, that's that's a big one. That's a very big one because, you know, Rory McDonald is a big star who came to PFL, but Ray Cooper is the one of the big stars of PFL. That's his home turf. So let's see who uh let's see who defends best. I mean, when we it's kind of like Pitbull and McKee when they signed yeah. Rory, it was like, well, obviously to fight Ray Cooper and let's let's get it on, right? Yeah. And then um Gago Musasi, just quite bluntly, he's one of those talents. You just kind of want to enjoy him while he's here because, you you know, it almost feels like every time, you know, you don't know when it's going to be, you know, the rolling down the hill for Musasi. He's just been around the game so long, but he's just one of those talents. You just kind of want to appreciate his skills while he's competing. So similar to when he lost the title and he was taking on, you know, Lovato Jr., I know he's up against a more unheralded guy going in. I do want to see if this is kind of like the second coming. Like, hey, he wants to let everyone know I am here to stay this time as the 185-pound champion. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And guys, there you have it. We will be back next week. We will talk about everything that happened between Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon, latest in MMA news, and we'll preview Musasi versus Salter and McDonald versus Ray Cooper. Until then, take care, have a good one, we'll see you next time.